With Capella University's FlexPath learning format, you can earn your degree online at your own pace and get support from people who care about your success. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. This episode is brought to you by AARP. Ten years from today, Lisa Schneider will trade in her office job to become the leader of a pack of dogs. As the owner of her own dog rescue, that is. A second act made possible by the reskilling courses Lisa's taking now with AARP to help make sure her income lives as long as she does. And she can finally run with the big dogs. And the small dogs, who just think they're big dogs. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Learn more at aarp.org skills. This isn't your average business podcast, and he's not your average host. This is the James Altucher Show. Today on the James Altucher Show. You know, one thing, and there's a million topics I would love to talk to you about, but the one thing I realize now, because we are the same age and we look back, is I think most people think they need resources to be successful. Uh, if James would lend me the money, if he'd give me the brain, if he'd partner with me. And when I look back as the most successful people I've seen are very resourceful. I didn't have resources, but I got resourceful as hell because there was nothing else. And so it wasn't magical. It was just tenacity and not wanting to settle. You know, when someone sees the end result, James, it's like, oh man, that, you know, Dean, it, it seems easy. It wasn't easy. It was difficult as hell. And I wasn't smart enough to gain self-education from other people back then. I was, I was kind of being uh, guided by a couple of older guys, but just quick little things, not a course, not a training. I didn't read books on it. I was just in the weeds figuring it out, but it was the foundation for my success. Yeah, no, and 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 I agree. And I think a lot of people, let's whether they're in their 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, there's always a different reason. Like in their 20s, they might want to do something that is, is cutting edge, a little non-traditional, not working for the average corporation, more aligned with what they view as their passion life. In their 40s, it might be they just got laid off or they realize, oh, I can't be a lawyer or a secretary or a whatever, a middle manager one more yeah. day. I'm really interested in golfing or cooking or real estate or whatever, and I just want to switch, but I don't know how and, I don't, and I'm afraid to take this risk. So I guess there's the, how do you find your interest? But then, you know, really more important, how do you start monetizing yeah. it? Like I want someone listening to this, they're, driving, they're commuting to work, they have a cubicle job at some big corporation. They're listening to this. How do they realize, oh my gosh, this is, I have permission. I have, this is possible for me. Permission. Yeah, yeah. Just want to give an intro for this one. Uh, this podcast is about two subjects near and dear to my heart. The first one, is it possible to reasonably make money buying real estate? I always write these articles, don't buy a home, don't buy a home, don't buy a home. And my guest today uh, agrees with me. He owns his home, agrees with me, but he's made so much money in real estate. I had to ask him step-by-step, step, how did he do it? And how can people do it? He convinced me that it is possible to, if you're totally focused on real estate as an investment, he basically told me what he did step-by-step step to do it and how he thinks other people can do it now. So I think that was very interesting. The other thing is, is that I'm a very big believer that in today's day, today's economy, you must 
think about how your career can be transitioned or how you can reinvent yourself uh, by doing what you love, doing what you're passionate about. But I'm always very interested. How do people monetize what they're passionate about? And my guest, uh, Dean Graciosi, along with Tony Robbins, described to me a program they're doing, which shows people how to find their passion, how to monetize it. And he told me again, step-by-step how he's done it and how many people he's helped have done it. He's going to give me specific examples. We talked on specific tactics. He also told me, and I was grateful for this. He set up a website, jameskbb.com specifically for others to learn how to do it. So with that all said, here's my interview with Dean Graziosi. And afterwards, I hope you check out just like I'm going to actually jameskbb.com. That's jameskbb.com. Thanks. Dean Graziosi, welcome back to the podcast. How are you doing? Doing great, man. It's always good to be with you. Yeah, and, and Dean, I remember last year we spoke and we spoke about the topic I hate the most, which is buying a home in the US. And I, until I spoke to you, I'm always 100% against people buying a home in the US. But then after I spoke to you, I thought to myself, huh, that the way he described buying a home is the only way I would recommend anyone buy a home ever. And so, so, but I never wrote it down. I'm going to write it down after this, but then also you're doing now, um, something I very much believe in the idea that anyone could, and it's more important than ever in this economy. You can, you have an interest, you have a passion, you and Tony Robbins have developed a blueprint for monetizing it. So I want to speak both about real estate and kind of, uh, you know, your, your, your blueprint for monetizing interest and how important, why it's important in this economy. So, um, but first off, uh, how's it been going this past year? I haven't spoken to you in a year. <laughs> I know, man. And, and I want to tell you, uh, I watched a lot of your stuff prior to us being on a podcast together last year, but since then, you know, you build a bond, you spend an hour yeah. together on a podcast. I've been watching all your stuff and you intrigued me. I love the way you write. I love the way you think. I mean this, I do, I get to do a lot of podcasts. I'm invited. I love everyone. But dude, you, you really, um, you in, invoke a different part of my brain when I think, and I mean that. And it, that, I, I know that's why you're so intriguing to people and I appreciate what you're doing to serve the world. And, and I love being on here again. So well, let's I, have some- I appreciate that high praise. So, so um, first I want to, I, I know you kind of got your start in real estate. I want to go from this to how you monetize any interest, but I want to get out as, as quickly as possible, the fascinating sure. ways in which, again, I've always been against buying a home, but l- let me hear first how, you kind of got your start. And then later I want to hear about how you met Tony Robbins and you developed your thing with him. But first, first you. Yeah. So, so real quick, I I was just, everybody's got their story. I grew up in upstate New York. I wasn't a kid that was going to go to college. I had dyslexia really bad. No one in my family ever went to college. So I just knew by 10th grade, I was just going to work. But, and and by the way, you and I are the same age. So when we were kids, it wasn't really even, and you're a smart guy. It wasn't even really a thought for me that I shouldn't go to college. Now, in retrospect, I don't think any kid should go to college, but were you, was there a lot of parental pressure yeah. and school pressure? 
That's why I love these questions. Yeah. Cause all, listen, I'll tell you, besides the pressure, it was like, it was grade 13. There was no question right now. I hope my two kids, they're 13 and 11. I hope they never go to college and I have another path. We'll talk about it later. Not just, you know, but when my guidance counselor said to me, Ooh, you're not taking your SATs. You're not going to college. Wow. You know, there's a factory hiring at minimum wage or you could work on your, with your dad on cars. There was nothing in between James. It was like college ah, or you're screwed. You're going to drink you know, Pap's blue ribbon and kick your dog. Like that's how I felt she was talking to me. And I didn't realize there was this other path called self-education. And we'll talk more about that later. And and when's the last time you asked a potential employee, what college did they go to during an interview? I've never, I, I've never, I, I ask them where they get their self-education, what books they read, what podcasts they watch, what courses they've taken. And we absolutely ask that. Well, let me, let, so, well, yeah. oh, let me ask my, let me ask my audio. Jay, did you go to college? Uh, yeah. I go to college because I want to come to the States. Oh, Jay went to college because he wanted to come to the States. But he's been my, how long have you been? You've been my audio engineer for four years. I didn't know if he went to college or not. Yeah, same here. So we, I think we're at about 65% no college in my company of almost 100 people. So, you know, the, the world has changed. And, and it, getting back to, to me is when, when I came out of school, I didn't know what to do. And I saw the only people in my town that seemed to be successful were guys that are in real estate. And I just really obsessed on becoming friends. One guy was 65, one was 72. Um, and I really, I picked up habits on success that were kind of different than my family. And I also realized real estate could be something. So to shortcut it, broke kid, found out a way to get into real estate with no money down at a young age by knocking on a million doors, learning from other people, gaining self-education. And um, then I got... Oh, Dean, let me ask, like when someone says uh, buy in real estate, no money down, 18 years old, whatever, that almost feels like a schlocky like sales pitch. Like, I don't you, get it. Uh, well, come to our seminar at the local yeah, Marriott yeah. Hotel. <laughs> you're going to learn, you, you've been a housewife for 25 years. Now you're going to make millions with no money down. It almost yeah. feels a little bit like. Oh, uh, I get it. I get it. So for me, I'll tell you exactly what it was. It wasn't that sexy at all. I just, I hated watching my mom struggle, my dad struggle. And for me, it was pure desperation. And so let me take the sexiness and the pitchiness out of it and say, I knocked on a hundred different people's doors. I went around to every single person I could. I went to every real estate uh, agent in my little town of 6,000 people. I found a real estate agent who was also my high school sociology teacher. She was like an adopted grandmother and she helped guide me and find. And finally we found a nice lady. Her name was Mary Lepresti who wanted to move to Florida, but her house wasn't selling. And as simple as this, I said, how much do you need a month to live in Florida? She said, $2,000 a month. And it was a four apartment complex. And I said, I don't have any money up front. I'm just being honest with you, but I'll give you full price and I'll start paying you $2,000 a month for a year. And at the end of the year, I'll have it so cleaned up, I can get a bank loan. And she invited me over for pasta dinner. She was about the 50th person I said the same thing to. She invited me over for Sunday dinner. We got done. She asked me all about my life. At the end, she gave me a big hug and said, let's do it. And I paid her $2,000 for a year. And then I paid her off and she was the happiest lady in the world. And I got into a house without having to come up with money up front. And, and that was kind of my catalyst. So, so, okay. So let me ask this. So you, you, you called 50 people who had, or roughly, you know, 50 people who had a house for sale and you made that same offer. I'll, how much do you need? I'll pay you that per month for one year. And by then you'll do things that'll increase the value of the house enough. You'll be able to get a bank loan and pay off the rest of it. If you didn't pay off in that year, would she just get the house back? Yeah, that was the deal I made with her. 
Yeah. Wow. So I put myself, I put myself on the, you know, cause I put time, money. I, what I did have is sweat equity and I did grow up knowing how to do sheetrock and plumbing and cause I, I didn't go to college. So I learned a lot of those skills. I, I lay tile, I put walls up. I, I know how to spackle sheetrock. I do plumbing. I did electricity as a kid. So I was in that house every night, repairing it, making it better, getting one apartment remodeled and renting it, getting a second one rented, third one rented, fourth one rented. And it brought in like 4,000 a month. And I had to pay her and a couple other bills. It, it made me about $800 a month. And I didn't, that, that's how I got started. And then eventually I refinanced that, got to pull out. And then I took that money and went and found another place and then another and then another, you know, it just kind of snowballed. It wasn't overnight. It wasn't magical. It wasn't easy. <laughs> there was a lot of sleepless nights, but that's how I cracked it. You know, one thing, and there's a million topics I would love to talk to you about, but the one thing I realize now, because we are the same age and we look back is I think most people think they need resources to be successful. Uh, if James would lend me the money, if he'd give me the brain, if he'd partner with me. And when I look back is the most successful people I've seen are very resourceful. I didn't have resources, but I got resourceful as hell because it was nothing else. And so it wasn't magical. It was just tenacity and not wanting to settle. And I found resourcefulness as the gateway into that industry. Right. So, so resourcefulness is a, is a very broad word. Because, and I, what I see also is that you did something, I call it the, uh, the ready, fire, aim approach, which is like you basically offered to buy her house and she said yes. And, and then, and she said, okay, where's, this is what it costs. Can you give me a check? And you're like, oh, I, I forgot about the money part. Uh, let, me just, let me just buy the house first and then I'll give you the money. And, yeah, and let me just tell you with her, the particular, her particular story is her husband passed away two years earlier. And she he said, when you're ready to move to Florida, this is how much the house is worth. Don't take a penny less. So if I remember numbers, right, it was like 165,000 and people were offering her 145, 150. And she was literally mad at every single person who made her an offer less than what her husband told her she should get. So when I talked to her and she said, told me the story, I said, okay, I'll give you the 165. And she hugged me and kissed me. I said, but the only problem is I can't give it all to you now. I'll give you the full 165, but you have to do it this way. And she was like, okay, great. As long as I get the money that my husband said I should before he passed. And it was, it was just a win for everybody. And her, her only risk was, was that in a year, she would return, you know, assuming you were trustworthy, uh, yep. in a year, she would return, she would be forced to return to a house that was in better shape because of all the plumbing and sheetrocking and, and renovating that you would do. And she'd have to just keep selling her house. But by then probably the value was high, would be higher, which it, you, you turned out. To show her because I wanted her to know, like I was so honored that she, she had no reason to do it. I didn't have money in the bank, had no college degree. I was just a good kid trying to work hard as a hustler. So what I was doing on a, on a weekly basis, I was taking pictures of me remodeling and making it beautiful. And I'd, I'd give them to her daughter and her daughter mailed them down to Florida. And she'd write me letters and say, oh my God, the house looks beautiful. Thank you. So her worst case scenario, she took back a way better house. So, so I'm seeing now, just unpacking this as you go along, it's, it's two things for, first off. One is this ready, fire, aim approach, which is kind of this way to take advantage of situations and as you said, before you necessarily have the resources, you kind of create the, you get the situation that's going to get you the resources and, and you figure out it's got to be the right deal that, you know, makes it happen. And then the other thing is, is communication. Like if you, if you had disappeared for a year, she would have panicked. Yeah, for sure. And, uh, and so you, 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 you built up, how did you have the sense that you would get full value for the loan just by redeveloping it? 
because she, it was a great place already broken into, it was, she lived in the first floor and there was three apartments above her and she had not done anything with those apartments in probably 25 years. She owned the whole building. She owned the whole building. And it just, you could just, it just, it needed a facelift so bad. It was in a great area. It was a great house. It just hadn't been touched in 25 years. So you know, so. you knew you would be able to raise the rents and just based on the cash flow alone, when you calculated it out, you, you would be able to, to get the loan out for the amount she needed. Yeah. I mean, it's just math, right? Back then I would do it on the back of a napkin. Now it's obviously more sophisticated. I own hundreds of houses now, um, but I would just add in all costs, right? What are the taxes, insurance, the mortgage maintenance, uh, you know, maybe one, one month a year, it has nobody renting and your mortgage payment, I'd add them all up and say that came to $3,200 a month. And there's four places that'll rent for a thousand dollars each a month. It'll bring in four. It'll cost 3,200. I get to make $800 a month while I'm building equity and and doing the house. And that's, that's, that's how I would do it. So, so in that, and, and maybe I'm getting too into the weeds here, but I'm just fascinated by this first story. So you paid 24,000 that first year, and then you borrowed essentially 141 to, from the bank. They probably valued it at some number, you know, well above that because of, of the rents you were now getting and so on. And then what, once you actually fully owned, you had the bank loan. Now you weren't paying the 2000 month to her. You were paying whatever it was, uh, uh, probably much less than that to the bank on the mortgage. What what were you making profit on that house uh, after you paid her? Oh, I forget the number. This is so many years ago, 30 years ago. I would bet to say it was in the $1,500 to $1,800 a month range. And then now you have essentially cash flow to to repeat this formula. Right. And then I go out and do another one. And I did. And I got a 10-unit apartment house and and a four unit apartment house and a six unit apartment house. And then I started gathering that money. And I remember I refinanced a lot of those and I took that cash and bought raw land. And then I subdivided the raw land and started building houses. And I I'd take, I'd build one house and sell it. And I take that money and go build the next one and build the next one. After I built about five, I took those profits and I built myself the nicest house in that little town in the middle of that development. So that that's, you know, when someone sees the end result, James, it's like, oh man, that, you know, Dean, it seems easy. It wasn't easy. It was difficult as hell. And I wasn't smart enough to gain self-education from other people back then. I was, I was kind of being uh, guided by a couple of older guys, but just quick little things, not a course, not a training. I didn't read books on it. I was just in the weeds figuring it out, but it was the foundation for my success. I mean, I'm blessed to go on and start a bunch of other companies and do lots of great things, but real estate saved my life. Like, I owe a debt of gratitude to it. And what what mistakes did you make along the way? And so two questions. What mistakes did you make along the way where you got scared or where, where you went kind of ahead of, you know, yep. ahead of your education because you were young? And at least for me, I kind of went ahead of myself many times. Yeah. And the other thing is, what would you do now if it was like, if you kind of ran into a financial crisis, like the real, what did you do during the real estate crisis? But, but first, what mistakes maybe did you make along the way in those first few years? Um, mistakes is I was that my being naive to things really helps in a lot of ways because the world hasn't told you, no, you're not smart enough to figure out depreciation or appreciation or knowing that the economy goes up and goes down literally maybe because I was secluded, didn't go to college, lived in a small town. I never had the thought that the economy would shift. I was buying property at 20,000. I would hold it for a year and it was worth 50. I just thought I was magical. Like I'm the smartest guy in the freaking world. I bought this house for 200 grand. Two years later, it's worth 275. This I'm going to do this forever. So I think not looking at the big picture, I was lucky enough that I sold a lot of my stuff before the economy tanked uh, in the nineties. 
Um, but I didn't sell all of them. And I had one big deal that I put all money, a bunch of money in, and I had it sold in my twenties. I had this piece of property sold, uh, James for $2.2 million. It was a piece that I bought for $85,000 and about three other houses. I had about 400 grand into this whole parcel. It was right on the Hudson river. And this big company came in and they were going to put 150 units, condo units and pay me 2.2 million bucks. If I just got the approval for them. And I was like, this is, this is it. I'm done. I'm going to be a millionaire on this one. And uh, what I didn't uh, take into consideration that the economy turned and it took too long to get the approval of the, um, from the town. And uh, I lost that deal. And I just realized now I would have made a different deal. They offered me 1.8 as is or 2.2 with approvals. And I'm like, oh, I'll get you these approvals just like that. I could have, at the time, $1.8 million might as well have been $1.8 billion. And uh, yeah, I got green. How old were you? 26. Oh my God. 25. I was making $28,700 a year income. Man, I should have been more entrepreneurial because this is you and I, again, we're like the exact same age. You were born in 1968, right? I was. Man, you were like rolling it. And yes, by the way, uh, very important lesson, which I realized sort of much later in life as well, is that take the deal in the hand. Don't, for an extra oh, 400,000, it's not worth, and that's a no. lot of money, 400,000, but 1.8 million, take that and and then work with that. Don't. Don't try to squeeze every dime out of a deal. So take, always take the deal. Yeah. And I definitely put my, like, I definitely, when I look back, I would, I would go all in. I would use credit card money. I would borrow money from anybody I could to make the deal happen. And thank God most of it worked. But back then it worked because the market was going up. And luckily that deal and maybe two other ones I had on the hook when the economy turned. If the economy would have turned, James, just 18 months earlier, I would have... It would have destroyed me because I had all my money out, every single dollar, every pe penny I was making. So uh, now that I understand the market in a different way, I just you know you approach it with more of wisdom rather than just straight up. You know, I'm definitely more ready, aim fire compared to I was definitely I was more like fire ready aim. <laughs> That's know? funny. Yeah. So so what would you do differently now? Like, would you not leverage as much, or what would you do? No, I would leverage, but I, I would never buy. And this is, again, we'll talk about a lot of things, but if, you, if you're ever going to buy real estate to hold, don't do a buy and hold. This is really important. This is really simple wisdom. Do not do a buy and hold and confuse that with speculation. Meaning when an economy and a market's going up, like we've been for 10 years, people will buy a property right now and have negative cash flow because they're anticipating the appreciation on speculation. And that's where everybody got in trouble in 2007. They were buying houses that were overinflated. When they made all their payments and the taxes and insurance, they were losing money, but they're like, it's okay. It's worth 500 grand today. It'll be worth 570 next year and 620. And that's not the way it works. So if you're going to do a buy and hold, do it completely based on the ROI because that'll never change. If you buy a house for 300 grand and with all in, you rent it or you buy a multiple, you know, a multiplex. If it's going to give you 6% on your money, 8% on your money, 10% on your money, it's going to do that no matter what the economy does. If, it, if you paid a million for it, it goes down to 700, you're still going to make that ROI on your money every single month because rents don't change and people don't leave. In fact, rents go up a lot of times when the economy crashes. So if you're going to do a buy and hold for a return on your money, do not confuse that with speculation. If you're going to speculate, that means buy it, rehab it, fix it, flip it fast. 
Well, but you do this. Even with speculation, I always ask people, first off, with any investment or with any investment of your time or money, no matter what it is, are you getting back more than you put in in some way? And, and, but particularly with real estate, I always say when you buy a home, just picture someone asking you something, a slightly different question. Someone goes up to you, Dean, and says, Hey Dean, I have this small little stock you should buy. Put here's what you should do. Put all of your money into it and then borrow four times that amount, four times all of your savings that you've ever made and put it all into this one tiny stock. Don't worry, it goes up every year. You're going to make money. No one would do that. That would clearly be the worst investment strategy in the world. And yet people do it every day when they buy a house. Yeah. Oh, when you listen, and this, I think we talked about this last year is when you buy a house for yourself, I completely separate. There's not a property. I bought, you know, well over a thousand houses, probably closer to 2000 houses. I still own about 320 of them. I've never bought any of those with any other emotion, except for when I put all the money in it and I pay all the bills, is there more coming back than it's going out each month? If it hits my criteria, we buy it. If it doesn't, I don't buy in my heart. I don't buy because I like the area. I don't buy because the bathroom's pretty. But when I buy my own house, you have to realize James is 1000% right. I bought my own house because I don't look at this as an investment. I look at it as a place I'm going to raise my kids where they're going to have memories out in the backyard and it's costing me money. This is, I'm sitting in my home right now. It is the worst investment that I have. But I don't look at it that way. I make my money in other places and I buy a home because it feels like home. And that's just a decision you got to make. And I watch so many people say, oh, you know what? I got all my money, but I got $180,000 in equity in my home. Well, maybe today you do. And 18 months from now, you might not. That little stock you're talking about could go to, you know, drop 35%. So you got to buy for cash flow uh, on the outside world. <laughs> and on the, for your home, you have to realize it's an investment in your family, not in your income. I, I totally, uh, totally agree with that. And I, so I want to hear about basically the, the list of ways you source and you find houses, but also keep in mind, I want to um, have time. So I really want to, we talked a little bit about what you're doing now with Tony Robbins. And it's something I very much believe in, uh, which is this idea that you could take a passion and learn how to monetize it, which is is so important right now in this economy where the, the middle class is sort of shifting and, and what I call corporatism is sort of t- shifting as well. You know, this belief that if you have one job at a big corporation, it's going to be quote unquote safe. But last year you told me this basically list of ways to find houses where potentially you can get a great deal. And I just want to hear that list again, and then we'll go into the stuff you're doing with Tony Robbins. Yeah. So, so what we've done and in the last three years, I haven't been obsessive on real estate because I've been working with writing my books. I just launched my sixth book. And Oh yeah. You've, I forgot to mention you've written like a, a, a ton of uh, New York times bestsellers, but we'll get to that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, we'll talk. So, you know, between writing the book, launching this company with Tony, my education business, it's, it's busy. So I have buy and holds that I've had for years, but the, the best way is to find deals that aren't on the market. Listen, the whole world takes the path of least resistance. When a new investor comes to the world, they know a friend or a relative that's an agent and say, hey, send me all the cheap deals in my area. And that's what every single person in the world is doing. And it's almost impossible. That's why you go, oh, all the good deals are taken. So we do some cool things. We run ads in Craigslist um, and online looking for people that want to exit a house fast for cash. 
That's literally, we're looking for people in probate. We're looking for people that maybe are going through a divorce, people that uh, just got a job in a different state and want to sell their house fast, people that don't want to do any repairs to their house. You know, like Mary Lepresti, the first, she would be my ideal client, the woman who sold me my first house. She didn't want to put one penny into it. The reason it wouldn't sell is she wouldn't even pick up the front yard. She goes, people will take it just the way it is, or I'm not going to sell it. We're looking for those type of people. There's also people that do not want to pay a real estate agent six to 8%. They just feel that is absolutely murder and they're not doing it. So what we do is target those people. And here's who we target. We target, and you probably don't know this, but James, you probably know everybody listening. 40% of all, 38% of all houses in America are owned for cash. So the I, only know, people, I did not know that. Yeah. The only people we target, James, are people that own their house for cash. First off, how, how do you know? How, how do you know if they own their house for cash? Because there's lists that you can buy. Lists of people that just own their property for cash. Me, meaning they have no mortgage. They have no mortgage. Yep. Yeah. And why do you so, why do you only target that? Because if someone owns it for cash, they have the ability to be flexible on the price. Okay. And so target people with that are owned for cash, and then are absentee owners. So if someone doesn't live in it, that means they already moved. They inherited the house, and it. As, as strange as that seems, there's tens of thousands of those exact houses all around the country. So and how do you find them? What's that? Sorry, I keep interrupting, but how do you find them? Uh, it's, it's all through list services online. My team could, go, and they do it better than me. My team could go online and buy a list of everybody in our area, in our zip code that owns a house for cash and doesn't live there because their tax bill goes to a different address than the actual home. Wow, okay, that's smart. And then we just send them a letter and say, hey, if you're interested in... Uh, potentially selling your home on 123 Main Street. Um, we're a company that buys fast. We pay cash. We make it easy. There's no fees. And uh, if you want to talk about it, give us a call. And as simple as that sounds, so many people say, great, I didn't want to clean it. I didn't want to touch it. I just want out. And that's where you have the opportunity to not find you know, the house that's on the market that 60 people are bidding for. And how do you, what, uh, so this is a naive question, but what's, what's probate? What do you mean by that in this context? Um, somebody that got left a house right? Just in this context, meaning of uh, grandpa lived in uh, Kansas City where you grew up, but you moved to New York and grandpa passes away and leaves you the house and it's in that transition. What do you do with it? I, I don't want to go back to Kansas City. Where's a good company that could give me a fair price right now for cash? And that's where you have the opportunity to be there to buy that property. And, and you look at divorce records also. Do, do you match divorce records with like houses that are for sale? I don't think we've ever done that. I know some people do. And what about the tax? Do you do anything with tax liens? Uh, we used to, but I did a lot of tax liens when I was when I was in my twenties and thirties. I would go to the. It was before computers and before everybody. Everything was online. I would literally go to the county courthouse and look at all the people that were late on their payments, and I'd approach it in a different way. So many of them get letters say you're late, you're going to lose your house. I would just send a letter and said, "Man, I'm so sorry. You must if you're going through something." Hit me up if you have. I used to say if you have a plan A to pay off those taxes, I wish you the best. Let me be your plan B. If you can't figure out how to pay them, give me a call. And I'd get so many nice calls like, "Oh, I'm going through a tough time." And I've literally lent people money to keep their house. <laughs> I'd go there to buy it, and I'd hear this amazing story. I'm like, "You keep your house. Here's some money." But on the other side, I also bought some really great houses that way. So, okay, your main approach now. If you were to recommend someone get into this now. Some, you know, use lists, you know, Google online list services for this, but basically find absentee owners, find people going through or that are in probate because of a will or a state situation and uh, find people who uh, own 
uh, completely without a mortgage to their house so they can be flexible and deal. And anything else? Yeah, no, that's it. If you started there, there's more houses like that than, than people realize. And it just means you're not doing what everybody else does. And, and what, what would you offer? Let's say the average house was going for 200. What would you go in there and offer? Well, it just depends. Again, this could go down a rabbit hole, but find out what that house is worth after it's perfect in, in you know, retail shape. It's uh, after repair value, right? It's gorgeous. You find out what it's worth and then find out what foreclosures are going in that same area. So James, the real simple way, if that 200, if that house is worth $200,000 when it's in really good shape, you can have your real estate agent go on the MLS and find that same house in foreclosure on what they're selling for. So those $200,000 houses, if they go in foreclosure, say they're going for $125,000 in foreclosure. A rule of thumb is just go like 10% below that. So if it's, if it's uh 250 foreclosure. If this is retail, this is foreclosure. You go a little bit below that and that's where you could start your offering. Okay, great. Well, I haven't, I've, I haven't bought a house like this yet, probably because I paid <laughs> top dollar at the top of every real estate market since I've been born and I've lost money on every single one. But right now is the top. If you're going to buy, I, I don't want to predict the market, but this isn't the time to buy your own house. If you're, if you're renting and you're comfortable, I would sit on my hands for 18 months. I think we're going to see a little bit of a change. We've had the longest up market in history in both the stock market and the real estate market. And there's a time it'll correct. Yes, it's totally true. Airbnb has changed my life. If anything, they have made my life so much better. Like I used to live in Airbnbs. I, I lived in over a hundred or 200 different Airbnbs over a three-year period. And I loved it. I love, I became a really good guest of Airbnbs and I got to know lots of hosts. So when I initially owned a house, I, of course, the first thing I thought was I'm going to turn my house into an Airbnb because I travel a lot. So why leave my house unused when I can make a side income by letting others Airbnb my house or come to stay in my house as guests. And having my own Airbnb or, or being a host for Airbnb has allowed me to do just that. And I've met other hosts. I've actually spoken at Airbnb's host conference. I think it was in 2017. I met so many just nice hosts. It's a great community. And I love you know turning my own home into an Airbnb. Like I'm traveling to Austin next month. My home's going to be an Airbnb while I'm away and I'll stay in an Airbnb. I'd rather stay in like a three-story house Airbnb than in one tiny hotel room in, in the middle of Austin during South by Southwest. So listen, while you're away, your home could be an Airbnb. Many people host on Airbnb, but there are people who are just letting their house sit empty who've never thought about it or didn't realize their space could be an Airbnb. Hosting can easily fit into your lifestyle and is a great way to earn some extra money. So if you have a home, but you're not always at home, then you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Daylight savings time is starting up again. Okay, podcast is over. That's all you needed to know. But why do we have uh, daylight savings time? Answer, to give us more daylight from March through November. 
By setting your clocks forward, it may feel like there are more hours in the day, that initial, when we initially start daylight savings. But if you're hiring, it doesn't necessarily help you find qualified candidates for your roles any sooner. There's only one way to do that, ZipRecruiter. And right now you can try it for free at ZipRecruiter.com slash James. ZipRecruiter works around the clock to find qualified candidates for you. Once you post your job on ZipRecruiter, they send it to 100 plus job sites so you reach more of the right people. This is such a brilliant idea for a business and ZipRecruiter did it. So ZipRecruiter's smart technology also quickly scans thousands of resumes to identify people whose skills and experience match your job. I've used ZipRecruiter particularly as a potential employee and I still to this day get messages every day. James Aldacher, would you like to apply to be VP of entertainment at NBC or whatever. So there's just nonstop emails. Like I got five or six emails today because of because a year ago I signed up for ZipRecruiter. So spring forward with a new hiring partner, ZipRecruiter, and find top talent sooner. See why four out of five employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate within the first day. Just go to this exclusive web address to try ZipRecruiter for free. ZipRecruiter.com slash James. Once again, that's ZipRecruiter.com slash James. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. Hey, listen, men's health is important. Men act all cocky and like they don't need anything. But the reality is, as you get older, there's some things you need. And it often feels like we're too busy to take care of our health problems. Like I'd rather do anything then go to the doctor or the dentist or the pharmacy or whatever. But now you don't have to waste your time if you use HIMS. HIMS, H-I-M-S, HIMS is changing men's healthcare by providing simple and convenient access to science-backed treatments for erectile dysfunction, hair loss, weight loss, and more. The entire process is 100% online, so you get a new routine of improving your overall health faster. Jay, you listening to all this? Yes, I definitely gonna use him for now. Not on. that you need it. You're you're young and healthy, James. I'm 35. You, you're getting there. You might you might need it. Who knows? But if prescribed, your medication ships directly to you for free and indiscreet packaging. No insurance is needed. You can manage your plan on the Hims app, track progress, and learn more about your conditions and how to treat them from leading medical experts. Start your free online visit today at Hims dot com slash James. Could you imagine that there's a whole section just with my name on it? Hims.com slash James. That's how I how much I am representative of the kind of person who needs hymns. That's HIMS.com slash James for your personalized treatment options. Hims.com slash James. Prescriptions require an online consultation with a healthcare provider who will determine if appropriate. Restrictions apply. See hymns.com slash James for details and important safety information. Subscription required. Price varies based on product and subscription plan. So I've been really fascinated by this concept. I'm changing subjects now. I want to deal with the courses you're building with Tony Robbins. I'm a really big believer that this in this economy, so many things are going to shift in the next few years for good and for bad. But the real opportunity is that if you have an interest and a passion, almost any passion you have 
you could monetize, you could make a lot of money. I've done it for myself and I've seen other people and I've helped other people do it. And I'm writing, you know, a, a, a book in this area, more, you know, more uh, general, broad book about this and what's happening. But, uh, you know, tell me more about what you're doing and, and, and what you're teaching. And, and I love that you're doing this. I think this is, a, this is really important. Yeah. So I'm glad you said it because the shift is happening, whether people are recognizing it or not. I mean, the, the fact of the matter, the difference between general knowledge and specialized knowledge is changing the world. Nothing general works anymore. Right. And traditional education, I think uh, Napoleon Hill said in 1937, no matter how much general knowledge you get, no matter how vast, how wide, it will never lead to wealth. You need specialized knowledge. Was this, and that was this, sorry to interrupt, but was this the chapter before he said you must uh, withhold having sex with your partner in order to uh, have as much yeah, power that was a, as that possible? Was like four chapters later, <laughs> sexual transmutation or something like that. That was like the weirdest <laughs> chapter ever, and no one well, ever like, talks about it. <laughs> it's a great. It's like this hidden chapter that you're like, okay, he was in a weird space there when he wrote that. Right. He was like, hi, then, and the rest of the book is normal. But uh, <laughs> so I think what's happening is, I mean, the self-education industry is one of the fastest growing industries in the world. And, I, and I'll, I'll explain why this is so important. But I think people are looking at it as like, OK, if I want to go to another level of income, impact, success, there's a couple of ways to get there. I can go back to traditional education, go back to school and gain more general knowledge. And that's just not working. Right. It's it, our world is growing exponentially. And our school system's been growing linearly. Like, like it, it doesn't keep up. So people are saying, ah, not back to school. The other thing people, the other option is learning through your own trial and error. And again, I think our world is moving so fast. People don't have time to learn in their own trial and error. They'll get passed by. And so they're turning to saying, I want to find somebody who's already done this, has more experience than me. They got a year ahead of me, five years, 10 years ahead of me. And they're willing to share that information so I can go faster. And that's the self-education industry. Wherever you are, if you're listening or watching right now, you've done something for a year, five or 10 that other people are starting on day one. And they have the ability to start off where you left off if you'd share what you know. And Tony and I saw this. I mean, he's been in the self-education industry for 42 years. I've been in for 23. How'd you meet Tony? A mutual friend uh, uh, connected us and we met for an hour, ended up spending like eight hours together about a decade ago been friends ever since. And we always just talk about, thank God for self-education. I didn't go the path you did. I've, and here's the crazy part. I, my self-education journey really started from Tony, like 25 years ago off of an infomercial. And I got this, I paid for knowledge and I was like, oh my God, why, why didn't somebody tell me about this? And his journey started when he paid Jim Rohn 40 something years ago. So we got together and said, hey, if the world is shifting out of traditional reg, uh, education, they don't want to go through trial and error. Self-education is heading towards a, a billion dollars a day, according to Forbes. By 2025, it should be at about $340 million a year. If, if the world is going for that, and we got 60 years experience between the two, why don't we create a process, a blueprint to show people how to gain the confidence to extract what they know or turn their mess into a message? I'd love to talk about that too. Um, and that's what we did. We went live last year to share it with the world and it ended up like we knew the world was ready, James. But we had over 200,000 people come to the live training. It was insane. And now we got 25,000 people in 150 countries um, in 4,300 plus niches learning and extracting what they know, impacting other people, and doing something more meaningful. I mean, the byproduct is success. The byproduct could be additional revenue. 
But man, to do something, and you know this, look how many people's lives you impact on a regular basis. If you could do anything in the world, it's a pretty uh, great way to, uh, you know, enter this new age. Yeah, no, and, and, and I agree. And I think a lot of people, let's, whether they're in their 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, there's always a different reason. Like in their 20s, they might want to do something that is, is cutting edge, a little non-traditional, not working for the average corporation, more aligned with what they view as their passion life. In their 40s, it might be they just got laid off or they realize, oh, I can't be a lawyer or a secretary or, or whatever, a middle manager one more yeah. day. I'm really interested in golfing or cooking or, or, you know, real estate or whatever. And I just want to switch, but I don't know how, and I don't, and I'm afraid to take this risk. So, so I guess there's the, how do you find your interest? But then, you know, really more important, how do you start monetizing yeah. it? Like I want someone listening to this to drive, they're commuting to work. They have a cubicle job at some big corporation. They're listening to this. How do they realize, oh my gosh, this is, I have permission. I have, this is possible for me. Permission. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Permission, right? I don't have initials after my name. I haven't been doing it for 60 years. And, and I can tell you just by examples, because we have people in 150 countries having more success than anything Tony and I've ever seen, we get insane amounts of stories. And I'm just looking at them now because we're going live again soon. We go live once a year. And I'm looking, for example, um, I think his name is James. Uh, James has been in mid-level management and in management for 20 years, right? Now he's the person that has a skill. He's been in management and he's been a leader at his church. So he said, I want to, I want to, I don't want to be in this management role anymore. I want to teach other mid, uh, teach other managers. So if you think of this philosophy on where your confidence comes from, it comes from when you go in a niche inside of a niche inside of a niche. So for example, he first thought, hey, how do I teach managers how to do better? Because I've been doing this for 20 years. He's like, no, nah, that's too big. How do I niche that down? He's like, oh, I want to teach mid-level managers how to not be stuck there. He's like, oh, but why am I good there? He's like, no, I want to teach mid-level management people how to overcome the obstacles most of them fail at, and that's why they stay stuck. He's like, I don't want to teach SOPs or KPIs or how to hire or how to fire. None of that. I want to teach him how to overcome these obstacles. And when he narrowed it down, James, all of a sudden his confidence is like, oh, I'm great at that. Of course I could teach that. And now he's on his fifth weekend workshop doing Zoom calls, teaching mid-level management, how to overcome obstacles, right? And that's where the world is going. But I want to share the opposite side of that, where your mess can become your message. Right. And that's the part a lot of people miss. There's a woman I just saw two days ago. Her children had eczema and she wanted to heal it naturally. So she took a year obsessing and she found out how to cure her kids of eczema naturally. That was her mess. And now that's her message. And now what she does, she's extracting that knowledge she discovered. She's not a doctor, not an eczema expert. She's a mom who fixed it. Now she's holding workshops for parents to teach, to, you know, cure their kids of eczema. And it's happening in every niche, over 4,300 of them. Women, a woman who went through divorce and it got ugly. She was hurting her kids. She's like, no, she created a framework and made it a, a, a child-centered divorce. Now she teaches parents going through a divorce not to screw up your kids. So it's just amazing to watch. And I know you see this shift happening. It's like the world is just pointing towards self-education and we wanted to give people the blueprint. Yeah, no, I'll just give you an example. I was doing some work with LinkedIn like five years ago. And I asked them, what are your, when, when people are searching for jobs, 
How many are searching for corporations or how many are searching for things kind of related to the so-called gig economy or, or solopreneur uh, type economy? And they said it's very small, 0.3%. And I asked somebody about a year ago in LinkedIn, how many? And they said it's like two or 3%. So it's like a 10X, a thousand percent increase. This is happening now. People are leaving the traditional workforce and going into things. But the question is always like, it's a risk. Like they're used to this one lifestyle. Like for instance, the person who's teaching people how to, how to have child-centered divorces, which is, is incredibly important and, and people forget it. Is she making a living? Yeah, she, she's, she right now, that's the whole thing she's doing. And, and here's the thing, the cool part about it is the world has changed. And right now you're in New York, I'm in Phoenix, we're on a Zoom call. That didn't exist when Tony started 40 years ago. When I started 23 years ago, there wasn't Facebook, there wasn't podcasts, there wasn't iTunes and, and Instagram and, and, and YouTube. Like the world has changed. So now we have constant communication and even better, right? If you look at a niche within a niche within a niche, you know, YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, they're doing all the work to identify people down to, I mean, you could find pregnant moms who make a hundred grand a year who like peanut butter and jelly and do Pilates at night. You could identify those people and there's thousands of them because the world is all connected. So before, if you were going to teach moms how to cure eczema, if you tried that 20 years ago, what would you do? Put up flyers and meet at the local library. Now we have the opportunity instead of social media using us, we can use it to find other moms and parents with kids with eczema, the ideal client who needs this ideal information, and you only market to them and say, hey, I went through this. Here's my children. They look amazing now. How would you like to come to my weekend workshop to learn how to fix it in your kids? And, and that's what has made this industry, like, it's always been there, I believe, but now we have the outlet and the delivery system to make it attainable for everyone. Right, like, and... and it's interesting. Like when I look back at the 1920s, it was possible to do this then. It's just now there's many more outlets for distribution and advertising. Like it was, people did do self-education courses and, and so on, but it was, it was maybe a little trickier, a little harder. You had to find like cheap ads in the back of like some weird magazine yeah, or, yeah. yeah. And, uh, but, but okay. So let's, uh, I'm just trying to think of like, uh, an, an, an example um, well, I like the eczema one too, because I just started having it in my arm. I think I've been stressed lately. So eczema broke out, but, uh, I should take that woman's course, but what's, what's another example and walk us through like what they did, like how you help them get there. Yeah. So, so I, I think there's, listen, Tony and I've been doing this for 60 years, so I hope we better know how to do it by now, but I think there's three components to, for any training to work. And this can be for everybody is you need first off the mindset, right? Because with the wrong mindset, you can't sell $20 bills for 10 bucks. You'll figure out how to screw it up, right? I don't think there's anybody better than Tony to get you in the right mindset. And then we teach the tactics on how do you actually do this? How do you identify what your, you know, a lot of times we're unconscious competence. We have unconscious competence, right? How do you open that up to where you go, oh, wow, that, that's, that's really what I'm good at. Because when you identify what you're good at, it builds the confidence. And then we teach people how to identify the ideal client and how to find them. So you're only presenting them to people that want what you have. And then how to run a, how to do a Zoom training, a four-hour Zoom training on a weekend or a, a, a two-day Zoom training or how to do it in person, a workshop at the local hotel. And that's, that's where the world is going. It's just, 
it's, it's magical that you can help people start off where you left off. Again, I, I look at it through this, uh, through this lens. What would it be worth to go back and spend a day with your 20-year-old self? And when you start looking through that framework and all you've discovered on your mindset, tactics, strategies, how to implement, when you think about that, it's like, oh my God, it's priceless. It'd be worth millions. Well, there's people starting on day one of something you've already experienced. And we have the ability to help them and make an impact while creating success. And I think if you look at it through that framework, it changes everything. So let's say, let's say for instance, I wanted to create, like I, I've been doing a podcast for six years. I monetize this podcast in, in various ways. The podcast has grown. There's all sorts of kind of, you know, nuances. How do you get good guests? How do you monetize? How do you get sponsors? What's the difference between sponsors and, and ads and blah, blah, blah. Uh, now I wanted to create like, so, so this seems to be like a passion of mine. Let's say, uh, what's, what's, what's next. Okay. So think about this, right? How many people, right? Podcasts are going to grow more than any other thing. I mean, I just saw the stats on how big podcasts are going to grow. We know it's growing. That means there are probably millions of people right now today going, how the hell do I do a podcast? I want to do it. And they're going to look towards traditional education. That's not going to work. They could try trial and error for the rest of their life. It's not going to work. But who wouldn't want to learn from James, who's got a podcast, who makes revenue, who impacts people's lives. So they're already looking for you. And what you have to do is identify what has allowed you to gain the momentum. And there's mindset and tactical piece. One is that you're really transparent, right? If this is your unique thing, right? If you're really transparent, you do your research, you understand your guests before they come on, you do it in a 40 to 60 minute platform, right? You do it three days a week, one day a week, five days a week. Like you have a blueprint on why it worked for you. Mm. Mindset side, then you also have tactical. I, once you get X amount of people, do this. Also get on smaller guest podcasts and drive the traffic back to yours. As Soon as you get to 10,000 downloads, Go up to the next level. Look for other people with 100,000 downloads. Provide value on their podcast. You really just start thinking about the stories that got you there, the tactics that got you there, and how you can help people implement. And here's the difference and why Tony and I teach people to do masterminds and group training and workshops is because writing books are amazing, but it's a bitch. Like I just got done yeah. with my sixth book. Writing a book's a bitch. And then when you're done with it, you read it and go, ah, oh, damn, I'd write it different. And I, I don't know about you, but I'll fine tune it and tweak it and adjust it. Like writing a book is, could be a year, a year and a half process. Right. Jane, you could either write a book on how to do a podcast or we could literally advertise today. And in one month from today, you could have a hundred people on a Zoom call paying you for that same information. It's just speed of impact, speed of implementation, speed of success. This has changed the world. So we're, Tony and I are teaching people, it's like you have knowledge in there. You could write a book, you could build a course, you could be a coach or you can learn how to do, have exponential impact and growth by teaching through a workshop, a mind, a mastermind or a group. And, and how does, so, so, uh, so basically first you teach them how to find what it is that the niche within a niche, within a niche where they have expertise. And second, you start giving them the, like, I imagine they have to create something for free that they give away, or I, I have no idea. Like, I, my first gut thinking was would be I would create some guidelines or tactics for free, give it away if they sign up for my email list, for instance. 
Yeah, that, that could be great. We teach all those tactics because this is what Tony and I have been doing for 60 years. So we have some people just going straight to the, their mastermind, like join my online Zoom call. I, I mean, I just saw a kid did his first one and I'm getting the details today on how the heck he did it. His mom had an autoimmune disease and he just, just a great kid, worked really hard to figure out how to get his mom healthy and build her immune system and got his mom healthy. And he just did an online event teaching people how to overcome an autoimmune disease, how to build up your tolerance, how to build up your immune system. He had 7,000 people. His what? first, I have no idea how he did it yet. I'm I know he did it all through social media. He had it go viral. I'm going to get the details because I want to share that with everybody. But we have those stories coming in literally every day. Did, does he charge? Did he charge those? Did he charge those 7,000 people? Like, yeah. Yeah. Oh my gosh. And that, but wait, how do people trust him versus like a doctor on autoimmune diseases? Because because the world is want, wants somebody who has a story that happens. Like you can learn from a doctor about autoimmune disease, or you could learn from somebody who cured themselves. You can learn from a therapist on how to save your marriage, or you can learn from someone who already did save their marriage. And I I just think the world is ready to learn from professional doers rather than the professional teacher in the classroom. That that that's a really important point because. Uh, several years ago, I changed the way I pick guests for the podcast. And so many academics or scientists will have a book about, let's, I don't know, pick pick some issue like, you know, shyness in the workplace. And they show all these academic studies. Well, if you do this, 53% get higher yeah, yeah. salaries. And I just decided, you know what? No more of those people. I only want uh, doers. That. I don't want academics. Because I would see the academics, they, they would write their book, but they would not follow their own advice because it was just an academically interesting topic, but it wasn't necessarily something yeah. that they applied to their own lives. And, and this was useless to me. Yeah, so I, I feel the same way. And, and it's, not, it's not something we're guessing. The world is voting with their wallets. Like they're learning from regular people. Like I, my whole thing is it's regular people who've actually done it and now they're sharing it rather than the professional teacher. And, and that swing is happening, happening in a huge way. I think that's why this industry is one of the fastest growing industries in the world. And Tony and I saw it and we wanted to extract what we knew. We got 60 years in this and uh, we created a blueprint. I, I'm excited. Uh, February 27th, we're going live again. We're only going live once a year. So if anything we share tonight intrigues you, you guys should show up for the live training. Well, I want to ask, like, just just diving into it, though. Yeah. How, how does someone find, like, they're listening to this, they're driving to their cubicle job, they're sick of it, you know, whatever. How does someone start thinking about what their passion is, what they could potentially uh, do that they love and they can also monetize? Yeah. So I would think about what it is that you've done for a while, right? What have you done for a year, two years, five years, that you're a chapter, a year, six months ahead of, or five years ahead of something else. If you were like this gentleman that was in management or in sales or cutting hair or fly fishing, I mean, we're in 4,300 and something niches. It's anything you can imagine. If you have an experience, I just saw where a woman ran a workshop painting with wolves to help people break through their fear. And artists who are stuck, she literally gets wolves, lays them down, you lay between them, and you learn to paint. She's already run her second workshop. It's insane what people are doing. So I would decide what is something you've done that you would love to share with other people? Or what mess or experience have you gone through that was a, a tough experience? You came out on the other side, you can help somebody overcome that. And when you start looking through that, then niche it down right? You're not just an artist. You're an artist that helps people with breakthroughs. All right. You're an artist that you want to attract people that are brave enough to sit next to wolves to really have a breakthrough. There's still countless people out there when you know how to target them, target them that want that exact thing. 
And uh, that's what I would start thinking. And, and and so like this guy who um, helped people with autoimmune disorders, you said he did something that went viral. So you, do you then make something for free and and try to make it go viral or what happens? So, so I, I don't know his model, what, what, but I know so many others. A lot of times somebody will give away free information and say, if you want more, go here. And it's the opportunity for them to literally straight up be on a Zoom call learning more about it or join them $100 a month or a $10,000 weekend, if an immersion weekend. Like we teach people to identify the skill, then price it and then decide the best way they would feel comfortable delivering. We have so many people, especially the women are rocking this, um, doing in-person workshops right? We have some going on how to be a barber, how to do hair extensions, how to be, I mean, it's how to drive a bulldozer better. I mean, it's crazy what people are doing and the world has just allowed us to have that contact to do it. Okay. And how to drive a bulldozer better. Is that guy doing a zoom webinar and no, that would be an in-person that would be come to our, come to this workshop at my dirt yard on a weekend. And is that guy doing doing it or is there, are you, is I that? Just, a, I literally oh, saw that in our site. So I, I won't give any info because I don't know. I just know that's one of his uh, topics. And so what, what have been, what have been new things that you've learned about? So, I, so, so two, two points. One is I think there's also permission to try more than one thing. So there's something I call uh, my own personal way of trying things. I call it the 10,000 experiment rule. And it's just that you don't really know what's going to work until you do it. But don't put, you know, try to find the simplest way to experiment that. I could agree more because once you're in, once you get in the game, it kind of navigates. You learn what doesn't work and work, what does. Listen, I could teach and I have on real estate. I could teach on how to go through. I went through a, a divorce and we made it a really magical thing for my children. I went through a terrible experience and now my children are thriving. My ex is a dear friend of mine and friends of my new wife. I've done real estate. I'm a multiple New York Times bestselling author. I've done stages up to 15,000 people. Like I'm going to pick one of those that I'm ahead of someone that I love dearly and love to talk about. And they're the things I train on, but you only need one to start. And I have to tell you, um, and I know we're coming towards the top of the hour and I got to jump on another yeah. training. Um, but here's what I know in all of the things that you could do for a living. I've been blessed to start over 13 companies from real estate to car businesses, to towing truck, tow truck companies. I had a firewood business. I've done lots of things and I feel blessed to have the success I have, but nothing in the world compares to where you can give somebody insight, capabilities, tactics, inspiration, and some tools to positively impact their life. When you can be in an industry to, to do something impactful, do something meaningful, and have the ability for next level abundance and, and income, I, I just don't believe there's anything better. And that's why Tony and I are kind of screaming from mountaintops on why everybody should be in this. And okay, so how could people find more? And, and, and basically when I say find more, from beginning to end, find their niche within a niche within a niche, turn their mess into a message and yeah. monetize it. How can they... Where should they go what, what, to find yeah, you? Yeah, right now, you should write this down. If anything I said is intriguing tonight, then you should spend a couple hours live with Tony Robbins and I. We are going to do that exact thing. We're going to share how to identify your niche, how to use that niche to get in this business, and we're going to demystify the knowledge industry so you see how it's broken down because we all know we, we take action when we feel confidence. And we're going we're gonna to share that on a live training. Last year, we pretty much broke the internet. Uh, we're only going live once this year. Uh, February 27th. And we, my team put a link together, uh, James, it's James KBB because we're teaching the KBB method. So jameskbb.com. If you go there right now, uh, you can reserve your spot. You'll see a picture of Tony and I, 
you can lock in your spot and I'm going to encourage you to get there 15 minutes early. Last year we had so many people on, a lot of people couldn't get in the chat, uh, the live chat. So uh, yeah, that's what we're doing. So, we're so, stoked. So jameskbb.com. That means they, they'll get to some page where they learn more and then they could sign up for the event on February 27th. And then when you have that event, it's, I guess it's live because you're responding to chat. Is the event going to keep on going for a while or what's going to happen? Yeah. So, so we're, we're, we're going to have the live training and then for a whole about 10 days will be nothing but presenting this opportunity to the world. You can watch the live training. And if you decide to work more with Tony and I get enrolled and become part of the KBB movement, um, you got about nine days to be part of it. So, but what I would say is join the live because then in two hours, you will understand this industry and how it's like a wave coming in and you want to be in the front of this wave. You don't want to miss out on this opportunity. Well, I'm going to, I'm going to sign up for your thing. Cause I want to, uh, I, 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 this is so in line with, with what I believe and where the economy is going and so on. So did you set up that URL just for me? It's, I got, I noticed the word James in it. So, yeah. So it's, what is it? James. Yeah. Jameskbb.com. Okay. Jameskbb.com. They should sign up now to get a spot. And then there's the live event. You'll tell them where to find that and stuff. So James, KBB.com. Dean, when you're next to New York, you got to stop by. Let's do like a podcast where we talk about just random stuff for, for an hour. No, I do. I want to get, I want to get in a room and be there in person with you. We've got to meet like this. I want to get in a room and let's just, let's just pick four topics and have a blast. Yeah. I appreciate it. And I, I really do appreciate what you give to the world. And I, I, I geek out on your stuff all the time. You give me a new way to look at things. So I appreciate what you're doing for the world. All right. Well, thanks a lot, Dean Graciosi. Uh, and, and you're also representing Tony Robbins in this, uh, to find out more about you and what, and what you guys are up to. And, and this event on February 27th, go to jameskbb.com. Thank you, Dean, for setting it up. And thanks for coming on this podcast. Awesome, man. You're the best. See you soon. I appreciate it. I'll see you next time I'm in New York for sure. Yeah. Excellent. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. -ba -ba.